whether you're working for yourself or for somebody else in the wedding business and any other industry as well, knowing your brand and what your brand stands for and how to reflect it is super important. So when I wanted to bring the conversation on how to brand your business, yourself, and how to reflect that to your potential clients, I thought of no one else other than Andrea Polito. I wish I would have had an entire day to talk to this woman because not only is she talented, but she is very passionate about our industry. So before I get started, I just want to send her a shout out, tell her thank you so much for being on our podcast, and also let you guys know that I am definitely going to be having her back. Get your notebooks out. This is a good one. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Planner and Training Podcast. My name is Fiorella Nera, and I am here with someone that does not require an introduction, but she is the queen of celebrating life, luxury, and above all else, love. You guys know her, you follow her, and frankly, you should worship the ground that she walks <laughs> that she walks I'm be able on. to do that. <laughs> I am here with Andrea Polito. Andrea, how are you doing today? I'm so good. That is like, I'm blushing from the introduction. Thank you so much. I am thrilled to be with you today. Thank you for having me and for inviting me. Of course. And I have to say, this is, we're recording in January and this just happens to be your birthday. So happy birthday. Thank you so much. Thank thank you. you so much for spending it with me. No, I'm happy to. I love this industry. I really do. It's it's the only thing that I've ever really wanted to do. It's it's my entire life's work. And so anytime I have an opportunity to kind of come and speak to a colleague and have a platform to discuss, you know, we all love the industry. That's why we're here. We wake up and we couldn't want anything more. And so I couldn't ask for a better birthday present than to be on today. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So Andrea, for those who may not, you know, be living, maybe living under a rock, please <laughs> Tell us what you do and where you're located and a little bit about yourself. Of course. I am a Las Vegas-based wedding planner, and most of my weddings do take place here in Vegas. I really specialize in this market, and I also specialize in luxury. So my company has a couple of different facets. I have Andrea Epolito Events. Under that, I typically do about six to eight high-end weddings a year. And that's a really great manageable number. It lets me deep dive with my clients. It allows me to keep my business very intentionally small. And so my connection to my clients is absolute. I'm the only planner. I do have a team of people that help in terms of like coordination and things like that on site. But in terms of being client facing, I'm the only person that they ever talk to. So that was really important to me. I have Andrea Epolito Education, where we have two books out, we've got online courses, and I do one to one consulting. Um, and then I own a business called The Wedding Editorialist, where we create digital and print magazines where cover to cover the entire magazine is dedicated either to your clients, so it tells their entire love story, or it's a magazine dedicated to your business where you 
you have an opportunity to create something that is a marketing piece and advertorial, but it very much is built to feel like a third party endorsement. So those are the three things I get to do. I get to help extraordinary people create extraordinary events. And on the education side, I get to teach extraordinary people how to throw extraordinary events. So it's everything is about kind of taking a moment and turning it into a memory and then benchmarking that and documenting it for a very long time. Because I believe in heritage, I believe in things that last, and I believe in, in generations. You have such passion for this industry, and it really shows just in that little short blur that you just said and it's really admirable thank you that you put so much work into our our industry and and educating everybody so with that i want people to know how you got started how did you get started in the wedding industry so it's it's my origin story is a, is a little bit sad and i think a lot of people who do what we do a lot of people who are really really creative and who dedicate their lives to creating things for other people um it comes from a place of difficulty. And I think that people who have difficult lives typically kind of try to strive to do something other. And when I was 13, my father's cousin was, um, was accidentally killed in a, in a really kind of tragic moment. And he had been planning his daughter's sweet 16. So I'm Italian. I'm from Long Island back East. Um, sweet 16s are mini weddings for us. They were a really, really big deal. And the Sweet 16 party was set to take place um, just under two months after he died. And we were driving in and, you know, everyone's dressed up and we're on this long car ride from Long Island into Brooklyn. And my parents were talking about it. And I remember saying, you know, I, I can't believe we're doing this. Like, I can't believe that he's only been gone two months and she's having this birthday party. And my father adjusted the rearview mirror and he looked at me and he said, you know, honey, you're always going to have hard times. And when hard times come, you need things to look forward to and you need things to look back on. He said, that's why we do things like this. He said for the last year, her father looked forward to this. He's like, he was so excited and so proud to give her this party. He said, and this is probably the only thing that's kept her going. It's the last thing her dad is ever going to give her. And years from now, he's like, tonight's going to be hard. But when she looks back on it, this is going to be the final present from him. He said, that's why we do this. And at 13, it left such a really kind of visceral impression on me. Um, but at the, at the time, the way that I processed it was the same way that any other really selfish, you know, teenager would, I was like, well, then I too will have a big sweet 16. And so I, I jumped into planning my own party. And, um, I, I mean, this is, I'm a little bit older. And so this is before the internet, before Pinterest, this is when you had to cut pictures out of a magazine. And so I had a three ring binder and I had sample invitations and colors and swatches and sketches. And I was at a friend's house and his mom said, you know, let me flip through this thing you're always carrying around. And she looked through it and she handed it back to me and she said, you know, you should be a wedding planner. And I had always thought that I would be a lawyer. And so I thought, well, I, I don't know what that is. And she said, we own a limousine company. And every weekend, this was kind of the precursor to the wedding trade shows and the wedding fairs that mm -hmm. we see today. Everyone got together. They put up these tiny little six by 30 tables. And my job was to greet them. 
to rewind the VHS tape all the way to the beginning so they could see kind of a highlight reel about some of the vendors, the partners that were in there. And then the couples would walk around. There was nobody at any of the booths and they would come back over and they would say like, here's the people that we want information for. And my first day people were like, you know, I have a really big wedding party. And so I'm not sure if I should get two limos or a party bus. And I was like, I, I don't know. And they were like, oh, and then they'd walk around a little bit more and say, well, do you know the name of the rose? It's kind of gray, but it's kind of purple. I don't know if it's lavender, but I, it's, I saw it in a movie and that's the one that I want. I was like, I, I don't, I'm 15. I don't know. And the whole day was like, I don't know. I don't. And I thought for sure I was going to get fired. So when my father picked me up, I was like bawling in tears. And I was like, I made $20 for the day and I need to go and get wedding magazines because I need to know what I'm talking about. And so he took me to the store and got me a bunch of wedding magazines. And I I think even wedding planners for dummies. Um, (laughs) and I, and I read everything and I became obsessed with the idea that you can, you can literally change the trajectory of somebody's life by by bringing everybody together into one space and creating an experience and it it didn't have to be and at the time and and still is in many places on on Long Island and and throughout the world really you have kind of you know places that are dedicated this is the package this is what we have this is what you do all the weddings are kind of laid out the same but i thought if you put a little bit more thought into it and at, at the time i didn't really have words to say in intentionality or authenticity but I thought if if you really kind of took time to make it special and you have all of these people, every single one of those people is at the same event, but they're having a different experience and their takeaways can be so different and so much more meaningful. My takeaway from my cousin Sweet 16, which changed the trajectory and the the profession and the path that my life was on, was very, very different from hers, which was very different from her mother's who was trying to honor what her father wanted, which was very different from my father who was thinking, how am I going to create this for my daughter? So one event, one experience, but it changed everybody in the room. And I thought that's, that's such a great opportunity. And because I'm a, a type A control freak, the idea that I could, that I could manage everything, that I could have a hand in everything. And for one night, I could make the world a perfect place, especially knowing that things in life do get hard. That to me was it. And so I jumped in from then and every job I've ever had in some way has kind of gone back to the industry, whether I was in catering or, you know, special event design or, or restaurant sales, it was always with the idea of how can I create events? Wow. Wow. What an interesting start. I, I have, oh my gosh. That's so, that's just. It's not a pretty story, but no. it's true. But in, and what you said that, you know, everybody does experience things different. And especially for guests who are going to weddings and they get to experience something so magical that is not even there. So you just get to be there. Yeah. And they get to be a witness, I guess. It's so magical. And then take it back to how you got there. I I just don't know what to say. I'm just so glad that we're here today chatting. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's, it's been from, from that point, that was when I was 13. So today I'm 43. So it's, it's, it's a 30 year time span. Um, in that 30 years, more recently, I lost my father. And I think back 
to the fact that an off-the-cuff conversation that he didn't even intend to have ended up changing my life. It changed the life of, obviously, all of my clients. It changed the life of of my husband and my kids because of what I do and how I do it. Mm -hmm. And so you you don't realize that there's, there's this infinite number of little touch points that we have with each other and with strangers and with family members. And things that you say in such a casual kind of off-the-cuff way can have such a long-lasting impact and, and such a ripple. And now that I do have my own kids, I think, you know, when, when my husband and I got married, what's, what's the story? What's the takeaway? What is it that I, I was not at my parents' wedding, but my parents met in Puerto Rico and they were honeymooning in Acapulco, which, you know, for, for Italians, Mm -hmm. you don't really see that a whole lot, but there was this kind of thread of going to places like that. And so when they got married, their cocktail hour had this huge shellfish seafood station and all of the lobsters were dressed up like Carmen Miranda and all of the crabs had like little sombreros, which, you know, our heritage, that was so other. It was, it was so opposite of what was expected at an Italian wedding. And my parents would have been married 47 years. 47 years later, my mother's cousins still talk about that. And I wasn't there, but I know about it in a way that I can see it in my head. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm planning for, when I planned my own wedding with my husband and, and when I plan weddings for my clients, I always kind of say, okay, when people leave, What's what's the memory? What's the takeaway for them? Is it amazing food? Is it that everybody was on the dance floor? Was it conversations that that you know people are kind of spread all over the country and we're bringing them together and they're getting to have a reunion? When people walk away from your wedding, what do you, what's the thing that you want them to talk about in twenty years? Because that's the priority. And a lot of times going in for our clients, they know what they've been fed from social media. They, they think it should look a certain way. They think that they should have certain things, whether it's a photo booth or a donut wall or whatever, you know, whatever happens mm-hmm. to be trending in, in that particular moment. And my thought was always, if you approach this from a sensory perspective, what are you going to hear? What are you going to see? What are you going to touch and taste? What are you going to feel? And you, you take all of that and you deliver it with a very, very special service that doesn't feel like service where it just kind of happens and it's really natural. You remove all of the obstacles because nobody's nobody's having to look for something. Nobody's having to wonder about something. You take care of all of the senses that they're, they're not even aware of and it frees them up to enjoy the experience in, in a different way. And, you know, recently I read... Um, Priya Parker, The Art of Gathering, I got to hear her speak at Engage and I read her book and she talks about, you know, why are we, why do we gather? Why are we coming together? And it's something that I, I was always doing, but I, I didn't phrase it the same way that she does, but there has to be, it has to be more than the flowers. It has to be more than the lighting. There's a, there's a bigger global perspective of why we're doing this. And, you know, like my father said, it, it's because. and how I can how I can push them through it so that the thing they look back on is bigger than the stuff. I completely agree. And, you know, other than you being so passionate about the industry and really a wealth of knowledge with how how you create these 
life-changing events and I've seen you go through these videos that you post from changing the carpet to changing the walls and the drapery. You are also known for branding and knowing how to communicate your brand and the type of people and clients that you work with without saying a word. And go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, yeah, I'm like, branding's a, a really big deal. It's, it's something that, that's important because who you are as a person is very much who you are as a brand. And your clients, I think, can, can sense that. And so you as, a, as an individual needs to align with your ideal client. And if, if you get that right, and it takes work and it's con it's an evolution for everybody, myself included. Um, but once you get the basis down, it's like recognizes like, and your clients will see something in you and they don't know why they, they can't tell why they trust you, why they like you, but you just feel like you make sense. I completely agree. So how did you, how did you choose luxury or that luxury choose you? I think it was kind of a, a little bit of, of both. You know, the first thing I think for anyone who's starting branding, and I'll, I'll use myself as an example, but um, I really sat down, my husband and I spent two years working on my business plan. I said, okay, well, if I'm going to do this, and I started at a time where Las Vegas was not known for luxury, um, you know, the idea of doing half million to million dollar weddings here was kind of a joke because we have Elvis chapels and, you know, 99 cent strim mm-hmm. cocktail. And it just, it, I, I knew that I, as an individual didn't make sense for my geography. Um, that was pretty clear what I wanted to do and, and where I'd come from being raised in New York and LA. Um, Vegas didn't, didn't fit, but I also had a very big sense of if I live here and if I love the city and if I love the town and if I'm looking for these things and if I want these things, then there has to be somebody else. So the first thing I did was I, it was kind of in tandem. I tried to figure out who am I? Um, you know, what were the five words that I would use to describe myself? What were the five words others were going to use to describe me? And from an aspirational standpoint in the future, who did I hope to be? And when I looked at it, um, you know, at the core of everything that I, that matters is my family. I'm a wife, I'm a mother, I'm a daughter, I'm a sister, I'm a friend. Um, those things really matter. Uh, my husband says I was built for luxury. He typically says that when, um, I am buying something, it's not always a compliment. Um, (laughs) but like I would rather go and spend $800 on a pair of Jimmy Choo shoes that I know I'm going to wear for six years because they're going to last. And so the investment of buying one pair of shoes for six years to me, made so much more sense than having to buy two pairs of black shoes every year for the next six years. I was like, it's the, it's the same amount of money, but it, like, I, I want things that are going to last. I like longevity. I like heritage. Um, I am incredibly relentless. I, I don't stop. I, it's something that has always been, if I see something, I, I kind of get blinders on in terms of um, not being able to quit until I get to the place that I really believe I can go. I, I switch brains really easily. I go between left and right brain and being really creative and really analytical very often. And ultimately I'm, I'm a dreamer and I seek to create the world that I wish I lived in. And so when I looked at that and I said, okay, if I know that I want to create environments that takes money, 
And so I need to, if I, if I know that I want to build things and I want to be able to be wildly creative and I want to be able to do things that maybe other people haven't done, I need to work with clients that are going to have that level of money. And so based on who I saw myself as, I then built out a client avatar and I said, okay, so what, what clients have money? Is it money that they've inherited or is it money that they've made themselves? I like working with couples who have made their money themselves because I think that they have a different appreciation for it. I also think that they understand the value and I think that they're looking to make a different type of, of statement. Um, I, I didn't want to do volume. I knew that because I wanted to be a really present wife and mother, I couldn't do 30 weddings a year, which meant that I had to charge more for my work, which meant that I had to work in luxury. Um, if, you know, if I wanted people to appreciate that, if I didn't want to have a big team and I wanted everything to be just me and you, that's a premium service. And even in a city like what Las Vegas was 10 years ago, premium quality, premium service comes at a premium price. So when I looked at the work that I wanted to do, the kind of people that I wanted to do it for and with, and the person that I saw myself becoming, luxury was the only place where I was going to be able to do the thing that mattered most to me. So um, there wasn't a whole lot of luxury at the time. And if you are starting out, if, if you're listening to this and, and you're starting out, I was in the exact same place. I was like, okay, well, you know, my clients don't have the money to do what I want. How can I make it look like they did? How can I cheat the system? Mm. And so it was things like, you know, if, if I had a wedding that was like, well, no, I mean, like the, the hotel is going to print paper menus for us. It's fine. I was like, okay, well, I want... I want my future clients to know that we should be printing beautiful custom menus. So at first I started going out and buying colored paper and designing some my own and saying, well, if it costs me 50 bucks, I'll do it. I'll print it at home and I'll put it out and it'll look nice. Once I started making connections and developing relationships with other people locally, I would go and say, hey, what if I did a trade with you or can I get 10 menus just 10 to borrow. And I'd put these 10 menus out on the table and I would tell the photographer, this is what I call the perfect. It's got the biggest centerpiece. It's got, everything is straight. Everything is detailed perfectly. I'm going to put these 10 menus down, photograph it just for me, and then I'm going to take it away so that my marketing pieces that would align with my brand had the thing that my clients at the time couldn't pay for, but it's still established to future clients that people like us do things like this. If you're an Andrea Polito client, of course you're going to have pre like of course you're not going to do a pre-printed menu. Of course you're going to have something custom. And so I I nudged it where I could when I didn't have really big centerpieces and I I was working with clients that either didn't have the budget or didn't care about that. I would collect the little centerpieces from the cocktail party before the ceremony ever took place. And I'd have a table set up and I would push them around the individual place setting and I'd say, okay, shoot this. Shoot it in three different ways from three different angles and those pictures are just for me. So that I was able to set the stage, not for the business that I had, but for the business that I wanted. Every, every photo, every blog post, every image had to speak to the next client. And so it was always about fluffing it where I could to make it look better than it was. I bet it was a climb, huh? Mm, like little did. by little, your your clients got a little bit bigger and bigger just because you had to, you know, work through those other clients too. 
It did. It, it took a couple of years um, to, to get to a place. And then, you know, we're still seeing, um, we'll see incremental jumps. But like my the first wedding that I ever did, I mean, I, I started my business, I turned on the website, I was like, okay, well, I have a website, which this was early 2000s, it was still kind of not like, what do you do? Um, so I went and I got an ad on the knot. And within 48 hours, somebody reached out and she said, we are eloping. And it's just us. And then we're going to have a bigger wedding later. And I was like, well, that's interesting. Why? And she told me that she had lost a parent and she just couldn't, she couldn't imagine going through the whole production. She's like, I want to have a wedding, but right now I just want to be married. She's like, and I just, I want to do this really simply and easily. And I said, okay, but whether or not you have a reception in six months or six weeks, this is still your wedding day. And it was just the two of them. And I said, there's got to be ways that I could make it special. There has to be ways where it still feels like you're calling me. You didn't book a chapel. You're not going through a drive-thru. You didn't go downtown and pay, Mm -hmm. you know, 150 bucks. Like you obviously are looking for something. And she was the only client that I had. And so I was able to to throw myself into really deep conversations. Well, what does it mean to lose a parent? How does this impact your regular life? Why why get married now? What's the underlining? Like, is it because you need the stability? Is it because it's what your mother wanted? Like, it, when we started getting really kind of deep, the more I learned about her, the more I was able to pull things out. And I said, this wedding is going to happen in a very short period of time. It's going to be the only thing that's actually mine that I can show. And at the same time, I booked a client for like nine months later. And so I had these two clients that were both, we'll call them more traditional kind of average budgets. Mm -hmm. And I said, whatever I do in these has to set me up for next year. So my, my first year was really small. That first year I did one wedding. The next year I had, uh, three weddings that I actually executed. But the year those, those kind of, you know, four weddings set me up to we're going into year three. I did 19 weddings and it was such a mistake because I had this fear of I'm new. I have to build up a portfolio. I don't know if the phone is ever going to ring again. I have to take everything and everything at that point. It's, it was not a mistake then. It would be a mistake today. But in the moment I was like, I have to take everything because I need to build up a gallery and I need to build up a book of who I am. And so I wasn't doing the kind of work that I'm doing now, but I looked at every single one as this is an opportunity to move the needle a little bit. It's the opportunity for me to work with a better, a a better florist or a better photographer at a better venue so that I can get out there. And that was something that from a branding perspective became really important because I said, okay, what when when you look at the internet or when you look at the world and you look at brands there's different things like if i tell you that i bought something at banana republic that means something very different from if i tell you i bought it at the gap even though they're owned by the same company mm-hmm. if i tell you that i i had a wedding at the hilton it means something different than if i say i had a wedding at the waldorf even though they're owned by the same parent company mm-hmm. And so I said, I want to align my brand with 
the brands that I want to work with in the future. So it meant taking a very small wedding and stretching and having it at the four seasons, even if I didn't get to have all of the other stuff, but so that I had something that aligned with the four seasons. So my brand connected with theirs and then maybe doing something that was in a country club, but hiring a really well-known, well-respected photographer so that then my brand showed up on their blog and then going out and finding a florist that everybody at the time loved and saying, okay, I'll book them even if we do something a little bit smaller so that my brand can connect with theirs. So that when you looked at my work on social, when you looked at it online, you saw that I worked in places like the Bellagio, like the Four Seasons, like the Waldorf, that the other businesses that I worked with were also high end. And even though I wasn't around for very long, I was able to kind of elevate my brand through association. I booked the people whose businesses I admired that were a step above mine, and I stretched my client's budget to do it one after another after another, and always in a different area, whether it was Mm -hmm. this time we're going to go with an expensive DJ or that time we're going to go with an expensive videographer. But overall, in year three, I was able to establish that my clients spent at this level and they worked with this level of quality and style. And so every year, the next couple that came in, I was able to talk about those brands in a meaningful way. I was able to talk about the Four Seasons, not in a someday sort of way, but in a way of, oh, my client, my contact at the Four Seasons is so-and-so and the last wedding we did together was this. So that people, I was able to, to very clearly establish that that was my market without having to specifically say it. Absolutely. I I really like how you did that. And since we're talking about, you mentioned a little bit about you know, seeing people's blogs or seeing people's galleries and how you connected their brand to yours. You also have a story on on how your brand portrays in person. And I want to go to that because there is a time when you realized that your brand was not only online and in pictures and word of mouth, but also in your, in yourself and how you portrayed it to the public. Can you tell that story to the listeners? Yeah, of course. Um, you know, I, I always knew that every time I went to a meeting, Every time I went to a hotel, every time I went to a restaurant, every time you leave the house, you are a walking, talking billboard for your business. And you might not like it, but it's the truth. And so it was, you know, you can look at, at Kim Kardashian, love her or hate her. Every time she walks out the door, whether she's in a gown or in a, you know, in a very skimpy outfit or a dress, or if she's in biking shorts and sweats from her husband's line, she's very, very well branded. You always know exactly who she is by looking at her. I always made it a point to try to put myself together well, but there was a time where I I didn't, I hadn't quite realized that I was going to be recognizable outside of the wedding space. And I had had um, a couple, I had an accident and I, I, I damaged a nerve and I needed a root canal. And I thought like, not a big deal. I'll just kind of, you know, I'll have the two root canals. I picked up the kids and I was like, I have to go shopping. And my mom's like, no, 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 I'll go for you. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm fine because I really take pride in like, you know, doing all the things. And I was like, I don't mean my mom doesn't have to do my shopping. I'll go. And I had my, my daughter was really, really little and she was pushed. She was in the cart and my son was kind of walking besides us. And I'm, you know, I'm sloppy. I'm on medication. I'm drooling my, I've got no makeup on. I'm in sweats. I'm in like knockoff Uggs and I'm walking through Trader Joe's and I see this woman looking at me and I'm like, well, that's kind of weird. 
And I go through, like I, I turn the aisle and I'm in the frozen food section and I see her coming up and like she slows down and she's looking at me. And my first thing is like, okay, I have to protect my kids. Like, let me move them off to the side. And by the third aisle, she's looking at me and I make eye contact with her almost as if to be like, I see you looking at me, <laughs> like I'm aware. And she goes, I'm so sorry. Um, are you Andrea Polito? And I died. Like, oh. I was like, oh my God. And she's like the wedding planner. And I was about to say no. <laughs> and my son's like, yes, she is. Oh no. And she's like, oh my God. She's like, sorry. She's like, I wasn't sure if that was you, which meant that immediately I was not recognizable. And I was like, oh, good God. And she's like, I, I know you're with your kids. Can I show you something? And she like pulls out her phone and she takes out her Instagram and she's got like all these pictures from my weddings that she saved and she's got her Pinterest board up. And I'm like, I have like in my head, I'm like, I have no bra on. Oh, no. Like, like <laughs> I'm literally in like a workout tank top and a sweatshirt and I have no bra and I have no makeup and I'm a hot freaking mess. And it all of a sudden clicks to her that I am not in my element. And mm -hmm. she goes, I'm sorry. I go, no, 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 that's fine. And she walked away and I thought to myself, like, I have to go figure out who she is. And I went back and she was somebody who had been a pretty avid fan of my work, who had followed everything, who had been liking things, who had been commenting. And it, it didn't stop. It didn't go away, but it definitely slowed. And ultimately... I, I don't know if she ever got married, but if she did, I did not do it. Um, and what, what really struck me about it is the minute that she saw me and I wasn't pulled together and I wasn't polished and I was literally, you know, braless and drooling in Trader Joe's, everything she had learned about me up until that point online, everything she'd ever seen, every picture, every set of fancy shoes, every beautiful wedding became a lie mm -hmm. because who I was in, you know, out in nature and who she thought I was, who I was to her, there was this tremendous disconnect. And I came home and I told my husband, I said, I can never do that again. I said, if I'm going to walk out the door, if I'm going to go anywhere, if I'm going to do anything, do I think that I need to be, you know, in, in four inch heels and carrying a Chanel bag and, you know, full hair and makeup and false eyelashes? No, but I've, I've never again left without making sure that I look polished, that I look at least fashion forward, that if I'm in gym clothes, they're not sweaty and ripped and ill-fitting, that I look the part because people, people want to buy into the story. When people hire you as a wedding planner, you become their representative. And so you have to be able to move through the world the way that they see themselves. And if my clients see themselves as being very, very affluent, very well polished, very well spoken, very educated. If that's how they see themselves, then I have to match that and I have to go a little bit forward, a little bit more every single solitary time. I can never afford to be, uh, even when I take my kids to school, I mean, it, it got me to the point where like I wake up in the morning and I do my hair and makeup because I don't know who my next potential client is. I don't know where they're hiding. I don't know if it's, if it's a second wedding from a mom who's dropping her kid off. I don't know if there's a teacher who has a best friend who's getting engaged. And in order for me to be, in order for the brand to be real, I have to live that every single day.
And it's if you look at celebrities, I, I really do think that probably Kim Kardashian is one that does it best. She's she is identifiable and completely one hundred percent exactly who she is every time she steps out the door. And when she's not, it's news. And that's the right thing to do, though, don't you think? Because if you are, because otherwise you're just not. I don't know. I guess you're just falsifying things. You know, it, you, it's so easy to make a great Instagram and a great website. Well, not easy, but there's strategy behind it. But at the same time, when they see you in person, it is the right thing to do to 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 be that person. Yeah, and I think that when you're doing it in in a business setting, when I would never show up to meet a client in workout wear, ever, ever. Um, but there's, there's this line of, am I still entitled to a personal life? Am I entitled mm -hmm. to downtime? Do I, do I have to be on all the time? And to an extent for me, the answer is, yeah, I do. The answer is if, if I'm going to leave my house, if I'm going to put myself in a position to where I'm going to be interacting with the public and, you know, six years ago, it didn't matter as much because I wasn't as recognizable. But over the past eight years, because I've taken such a public stance and really redefining what it means to get married in Vegas, because I've had so much press and because if you are, if you're in Las Vegas, if you're in the space, if you are interested in weddings, then the reality, and it took me a long time to acknowledge this, the reality is, is that you've come across my work and you have an impression of who it is that you think I am. And the minute that I break that, the minute that I take the curtain down and you peek behind it, everything crumbles. And so if if I'm going to leave the house, I need to make sure that I leave the house to where I'm not going to be embarrassed if I meet a potential client or if I run into a past client. And it's, it's not a lie. I'm just as good of a wedding planner. I was just as good of a wedding planner standing there in my Uggs, in my sweats while I was drooling as I was 10 minutes before she saw me. My mm -hmm. ability didn't change. My core business didn't change. But her perception of me did. And her perception is the reality. My brand isn't what I tell you it is. It's what you think it is. Right. And if, if you think that all of a sudden my brand is something other, then we've broken trust. And the minute we break trust, it's over. And that's my responsibility. If I want to work at this pace, if I want to work at this level, then my responsibility is to make sure that I am always forward facing in a way that represents my business because I can't afford not to be. And that is why I wanted you to talk about this story because I think it speaks in so many levels to so many people um, and what branding is and, and truly what the expectations are in different levels of the industry. Um, one of the things I also wanted to touch on, and I'm sorry I'm moving on. I, no, I know please. we only have so much time, so I want to make the best use of it. Um, we know that not all weddings are six figures, right? Or Correct. seven figures. Um, no, six. <laughs> Six. Yeah. And so how can planners who work with the smaller budgets, you know, the, the average national budget budgets or a little bit higher, how can planners use what you're telling us with branding to their benefit? So the, the first thing that I would say is when I'll go back to personal branding, because I think that that's where everything is rooted. 
um, if you get a chance, um, uh, one of the things I did was I really started to adopt a uniform. I looked at people that were incredibly successful in all different facets. And I really think it's important that you look outside the wedding industry. But you look at Apple, Steve Jobs, jeans, and a black turtleneck. Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg has the hoodie. Um, Elizabeth Taylor was known for big diamonds. Diane von Furstenberg has the wrap dress. I said, okay, I need to know that I need a uniform for when I go to the gym, for when I go to the grocery store and I have casual days, for when I'm meeting clients, and for the days that I'm working. So I have one uniform for all the different things that I would have to do. And so that reinforced everything I have, whether it's my, you know, casual Adidas jeans sweater versus my load-in outfit versus my on the floor in front of guests. Every one of those things has a uniform and they all tie back to my brand. I really worked hard on developing a lexicon because words have power. And if you can create a vocabulary that you use online and in person, that really kind of becomes associated with your brand. You can use them when you speak personally and you can use them when you speak professionally and it becomes very natural. Um, in my work, you see a lot of chandeliers, you see a lot of diamonds, you see a lot of bling. And so I use the word dazzling a lot. It's not a word that you see everywhere. You see bling, you see sparkly, um, but to use the word dazzling is very, very closely tied in with me. And so when I use it, in my regular life, it becomes easier to use it with clients on my website, on my social. And then when I, when I go out and I start putting things out there, especially if you're trying to attract clients, there's an item of you really need to ruthlessly edit yourself. You need to think like an editor. You need to think like a client. It's about watching what you say and do. It's about culling your images and trashing any image or post on your website, on your social, that does not 100% meet your future brand standards, not even where you are. But kind of like I said about bringing in the menus, um, bringing the florals in really close so it looks very lush and it looks very abundant. It looks like there more than there is. Sitting down with your photographers and saying, because a, a great photographer will make or break your ability to do things in the future. And so sitting down and saying, all right, this is what I want in the future. These are the pictures I want. This is how I want them shot and finding a partner that's going to help you create those items to attract your clients. Now, once you get the clients and you're saying, okay, I have this client. And if the national average of a wedding is $32,000, which right now I think it's pushing 33,000 because we're in a good economic place. What can I do with $33,000? that's going to make an impact. Obviously, you're always going to be driven by the things that your client wants first. But the the thing that you have to sell, you have your images and you have your video. And so what makes for the best imagery? If you're trying to do things that look a little bit more lush and a little bit more expensive, um, sticking to one color palette. So everything being shades of pink will always look more expensive than mixing pinks and purples because it scatters your eye. It takes away from your focus. So if you find something color saturation wise where I was known for the green wedding, that obviously was a lot of production. But when I was smaller, I tried to pick tones that were easier to play with. I could do one shade of pink napkin, one shade of pink linen 
different shades of pink flowers, when you took the picture, it all made sense because the tonality of it was consistent. So that's one thing to do is try to work with a color palette that is very, very similar. So you can create texture with different items, but the color overall, when you walk into the room, it looks like you've done a lot more because you've done a lot more with one color. The same thing, not just using color, what you're going to, anything you're going to do and mass. When you walk into a ballroom, the thing there's, there's more chairs in that ballroom than anything else. Right. When people first start to enter. And so one of the easiest things that you can upgrade is the chair, whether you take it from a hotel chair to a shafari, to a shafari with a back, to a shafari, to a chameleon, from a chameleon to an upholstered. The more you do on the chairs, the first image that you get from that space is going to be significantly better because the thing that you have en masse is the most if you have clients that can't afford tons of flowers, then try to rent a very simple, sleek candelabra and do a ton of small votive candles all the way around the base. So the design element changes. You're designing with the candles and the light, but you accent it and you put flowers in little places. You want to drill down when you're working with, with a budget that has, and every, every budget has a limit. I've done seven figure weddings where we get to a point and I'm like, look, we've reached the end. Mm -hmm. Like we've spent $1.3 million. There is no more money left. What do you want to do? So nobody has no budget that doesn't exist. Um, but when you start looking and you go, okay, when, if you go to Pinterest or if you go to Instagram as a planner and you start looking at the things that you're drawn to take out a pad and paper and make a try to make a list of every single element that is in a ballroom or that's on a table. When I sit at a play setting, what do I have? I have a chair. I have a linen. I may or may not have a charger plate. I may or may not have a placemat. I may or may not have plates on top of it. I have silverware. That silverware can be hotel issued. It could be gold. It could be upgraded. It can be gray. I have a napkin. Is the napkin folded? Is it tied? Is it, if it's tied, is it tied with a ribbon? Does the ribbon have a flower or does it have an herb? Is there a place card? Did they have an escort card? How many glasses do I have? Are the glasses standard issue or did we rent something with a gold rim? Did we upgrade the gold rim to a color? And if you make a full list, um, and I've got lists of over a hundred elements that could go into a wedding. When you sit down to design the wedding with your client, your job is to say, how many of these little details can I pull in so that my photography and my video shows a wide range of stuff? So if, if you start saying like, okay, my client might not be able to afford a menu and don't be afraid to invest in your client's weddings. I did that for the first five years. I always turned around and said, whatever the client paid me, if, if they paid me $3,000, I was like, all right, I'm going to take 300. I'm going to take 10% and I'm going to use it to do something at the wedding mm -hmm. that they wouldn't do. And that was a small amount even now. And my budgets have gotten bigger and my fees have gotten higher. Um, but I always go in and say, what's one thing that we didn't do that I can add because I want to surprise and delight my clients, but I also want the photo. It's always about the photo and the video. 
those are the two things that you're always trying to, to say, how is this going to play in my portfolio? So any item in mass, same color, and looking at the tiny details that will be shot beautifully, those will help you quite a bit in making the weddings look a lot more expensive than they are. Wow. I mean, that's just so many actionable steps we can take to elevate our branding ourselves. Um, I have nothing to add to that. So you, you basically answered the question of tell us a bit of advice before we, we end the podcast. <laughs> You're the greatest, Andrea. I think, look, if, if there's advice, I'll, I'll tell you this. Okay. Um, the, the best thing I was ever given and the thing that, that I give myself and that I give to other people, I love education. And we're in a really unique space as an industry because you know, I, I went to UNLV, I have a hospitality degree and I got out and said, well, okay, great. Now what? It didn't teach me how to be a wedding planner. It certainly didn't teach me how to start a business. It didn't teach me how to buy, you know, a $1 million insurance policy, which I, you know, I still meet wedding planners all the time that don't have a liability insurance policy because they might be in towns where they think like, oh, they don't need it or the golf course doesn't need it or this and that. You can buy a million dollar insurance policy for four mm -hmm. to $500 yes. to protect yourself. Um, you know, I, I didn't know, like, am I making any money? I don't know. Can I pay my bills? Yeah. Okay. I must be okay. Well, frick next week I can't. Okay. Now I'm poor. Like I didn't know how to, how to structure the idea of figuring out what it cost to be a business. And then what does it cost to, to be a person to live my life? And how to spread out my money so that if I'm only working six times a year, that means I'm only collecting money, you know, anywhere from five to seven times. Sometimes if, if my clients spread it out, 10, how do I live a year only getting 10 paychecks? And so I didn't, there was so much that I didn't know. And so education is, if there's one thing I would say, re read everything. Read every book that you possibly can. Read outside the industry. You know, read things like um, uh, Mike Michalowicz, who's great, wrote a book on Profit First. And mm -hmm. he's, you know, he's fantastic. Um, Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss, who was a hostage negotiator, talking about negotiations, the power of, of grit, one million followers, um, you know, crushing it, Gary Vee, all of those things they all apply to us because even though we're very much creatives and what we do is rooted in a form of art, we all have to be business owners. And so learn everything. I take about two, um, you know, I, I think I mentioned I have um, two online courses. I have um, the business blueprint for wedding planners that teaches you how to, it's really for like years one through three, is your business set up to to run like a business. And then the masterclass is really how do you scale that so that you can make six figures consistently, which in the beginning when I first started, I my goal was never to make six figures. I didn't know that that was going to be wildly possible. And now my goal is to make sure that all wedding planners are operating at a place where they're making six figures because we should because we are the custodians of other people's lives and memories and they trust us and they put so much pressure and faith in us. And in order to be able to do that, we exist to service our clients, but our businesses exist to serve us. 
and how that business serves you, whether or not it, it gives you permission and the ability to live the kind of life that you want. If the business doesn't run soundly, then you know we have such high burnout because people say like it's easier to just get a job, and it is. Mm-hmm. It's easier to go work for somebody else. So I. I want to teach everybody because I don't want to see people leave the industry. I don't want to people see people, you know, cash out and go to be catering managers, not because it's a bad job. It's a fantastic job. But if this is what you love, then you have to learn how to how to approach the business as a business. Listen to the podcast. I take two courses a month, every month. I take it from other wedding planners. I take it from photographers. I take it from video people. I take it from business coaches. I take it about influencing because I always want to learn. And I feel like if I'm going to teach, then I have a responsibility to continue to learn. And so whether or not you take a, an online course about color theory, if you ask your local florist, if you could go in the back and learn how to make a boutonniere or a bouquet, education will never hurt you. It will only ever make you better. And then when you go out into the world and when you talk about it, with your clients, when you're on social and you're showing live stories and you're saying, hey guys, I'm here today at the ABC Floral Studio. This is so-and-so. She's a great partner. She's a great friend. And today she's going to teach me how to make a bouquet. Now you're probably thinking as your wedding planner, why do I need to know how to make a bouquet? Well, the reality is if you drop it and it breaks, I want to be able to fix it for you on site. And that's how much I care. And that's why I'm spending my Sunday off here with them. You're just going to reinforce how much you care. Mm Mm-hmm. And so education is the biggest thing. So if I have any anything that, that I could say is advice for anyone, read everything, listen to all the things, and then weigh it against whether or not it's true for you. Not everything I've learned has been put in my business because it just wasn't true for me. And there are things out there that I could have said today that you could say that's not going to work for me. And that's okay. But at least you've heard it. At least you can now have a conversation about it. And if you can, if you tell me this doesn't work and here's why – for you, I won't fight you on it, but it's going to work for somebody. And the only way to, to know whether or not it's an option is, is to kind of go out and experience all the things. Very true. Education can do so much for a business. And like you said, just because you're learning about something doesn't mean you're going to apply it to your business or to your personal life. It just means that now you know about it and you know it's not for you. Yeah. Andrea, you are again a wealth of knowledge and the Thank queen you. of branding and i am <laughs> so you. thankful you've chosen to spend a little part of your birthday with me oh, where thanks. can our listeners find you um you can find me online i am at i have two different websites i have at andrea epolito that's a n d r e a e like edward two p's o l i t o Com. Andrea Polito is the business site. That's where I have my books. It's where I have my courses. It's where I have my podcast. Um, you can get my YouTube channel there and you can kind of come behind the scenes and get a sense of how I work and what I do on site. And then if you just love all things weddings and if, if you're not, if you want to see the pretty and not the process, that's EndreaEppolitoEvents.com. And socially, I am everywhere at Andrea Epolito. I make it really easy. I didn't get very hey, creative. Yeah. It's, just, it's just my name. <laughs> Super easy to find her. You will find her if you just type in her first name and an E, guaranteed. Um, but thank you once again. Thank you so much for being thank here today. You. Thank I'm you. I'm so Can't happy we got back. to spend it together. Okay. Me too. Thanks so much. You have a great day. You too. Thanks, everybody. Thanks.